Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me here live uh, Thursday evening. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, as uh, mentioned. And uh, very excited and glad to have you join us here on the program. Uh, I'm going to introduce the Coach's Corner panel here in just a moment or two. Uh, A couple of quick announcements. First and foremost, um, even though I did post it on social media last week, unfortunately, um, when I got ready to do the broadcast, the hosting network that provides a blog talk radio, uh, that provides the the service that I use, uh, unfortunately, their site was down. Uh, unbeknownst to me, and, and um, it was uh, down for several hours, so I had to uh, literally cancel last minute the program. So I apologize to not only the Coach's Corner panel again, but also the uh, special guest who was uh, ready and raring to go, if you will, uh, Anthony Holder, who is the Director of Golf at Horseshoe Bay Resort in Dallas, Texas. Um, I'm going to uh, endeavor to reschedule him for another date. Um, but again, my apologies to them, and my apologies to you for those of you that uh, uh, tuned in um, that didn't uh, get the notice, obviously, when you got there and there was no show. Uh, I'm sure you figured it out. But anyways, my apologies. And uh, unfortunately, these things happen from time to time. And uh, we try to uh, do our best to uh, to avoid that. But sometimes it's just out of our control. Um, got a great show for you tonight. As I mentioned, we're going to have the Coach's Corner panel here. And a little bit later on the broadcast, I'm joined by a great uh, gentleman, Jeff Harrison. He's the Senior Vice President of Education for the Western Golf Association. He's going to be joining me a little bit later on in the broadcast. Um, and uh, following, of course, Coach's Corner. Uh, let me remind everybody, too, that GolfSwing.com is the official sponsor for the Coach's Corner panel segment here on Golf Talk Live. Let me tell you a little bit about them and a great way that you can save uh, on their subscription-based website. GolfSwing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best in, uh, golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business, and together they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you want to join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. Uh, in addition to sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment, each week I'm going to post a different golf instructional video tip uh, featuring one of their uh, top instructors. Uh, I'll be doing it on the weekend here. Uh, and another, as I mentioned, there's a great way to save on that as well. Uh, if you go to uh, golfswing.com and at checkout, if you enter the promo code GOLFTALKLIVE, it doesn't matter whether it's CAPS or not, uh, enter promo code Golf Talk Live. You'll save 50% off the subscription price. So go to uh, golfswing.com, join today, and watch, practice, and improve your game. Um, all right, I've got a great panel, as I mentioned here on Coach's Corner. Uh, first up is uh, good friend Chuck Evans, uh, Golf Magazine Top 100 Teacher, uh, Golf Digest Top Teacher in America, and Top 50 the Growth of the Game Teachers. Uh, he's also the Director of Instruction at Apache uh, Creek Golf Club in Apache Junction, Arizona and also the owner of Chuck Evans Golf. Uh, also rounding up the panel is another good friend, Clint Wright. He's a 30-year member, uh, life member actually, of the PGA, uh, partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, one of the best, in my opinion, covering the short game today. 
uh, plus one of my favorite guests and panelists here on Coach's Corner. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the uh, panel tonight. Uh, glad to be here, Ted. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Ted. Well, I appreciate it, guys, as always, uh, giving of your time. Uh, and as I said many, many times in the past, I know it's not always easy just to, to get home after work and having a long day on the lesson tee, if you will, and, uh, and then having to sit uh, for an hour with me. So I know that's, that can be a little bit difficult at times, but I appreciate you guys uh, give, always giving it your best. All right, we're going to talk about um, the short game here, and I've got some uh, other things, too, that we're going to talk about. But I think first and foremost, and Clint, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind, uh, and then um, uh, Chuck, I'll, I'll go over to you. Let's talk about first, just for, and we're going to kind of play a little bit devil's advocate here for, for those that may be a little bit newer to golf that don't understand what is considered the short game in golf. Just sort of give us a, a general overview of what would be considered the short game. Well, that's, that's kind of an open question. Obviously, the short game, most people would define that from, let's say, 100 yards to the hole. Okay, um, that's the short clubs, however you want to define it, the short shots, intermediate shots. I guess I, I've been trying to shy away from calling it the short game for a long time now. Uh, I want to call it the scoring game, and that's okay. where we score from. And, you know, I, I guess if I was going to define the short game, I would say anywhere inside of a full swing. If you're making an swing three-quarter half swing you're probably in what we have historically called the short game area the red zone the scoring zone i think that would be probably proper way of describing it where you're in that intermediate shot generally from 100 yards to the hole right and obviously part of the short game or scoring game if you will are things like chipping obviously your putting sure um and and uh, you know uh, certainly your greenside bunkers that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, anything you know, that's again, 100 yards. Right, exactly. So, uh, and, and the reason why I want to wanted to start off with that is you know a lot of people they don't really understand that maybe have not played golf uh, very much mm -hmm. or don't really understand some of the terminology. So I wanted to sort of just you know bridge that gap a little bit. Um, Chuck, uh, what we want to talk about too is uh, is not only what would be considered. Uh, part of the short game or scoring game, as, as Clint mentioned, um, but some of the, the key components to building a good short or, or scoring game. So just maybe, again, just in, in sort of a point form or just a generalization, uh, some good things that you want to do or you want to uh, relay to your students, if you will, uh, about how to really build a, a good short game. Well, you know, it, it, I tell most of my players, I said, you know, if you don't change your full swing one bit, but you improve your scoring from 100 yards and in, you can drop five to seven shots and still keep the same old, you know, um, bad golf swing, okay? But bad bad golf swing usually means that you're also not very good around the greens um, because you're letting the club head pass your hands or whatever. So, you know, we'll start with putting, smallest stroke you can make, right? Then we'll move into chipping from just off the green. And then we'll move out to where you're, you know, maybe 10 yards off the green, hit some little pitch shots. So I kind of work it that way. I start with the shortest stroke and then work it back up. To, and I do the same thing. Anything less than a full swing to me is a scoring swing. Whether it's, whether it's with a wedge, you might even hit a nine iron. I mean, I know people that, you know, if they have 100 yards, rather than try to fly a wedge there, they'll take a nine iron and hit a little lower, you know. And sometimes they blade it, but that's their version 
of inside of 100 yards. So if you start right. with your start with your putting, you know, and, and give yourself drills. You know, give yourself outcomes. I mean, if you start with a three foot putt, make ten three footers in a row. If you miss one, start over. Uh, then go to six feet, make ten in a row, and all the way up to you know 20 feet. You're not going to make ten in a row there. But how many can you make out of ten? Can you make one or can you make zero? Uh, and you'll pretty soon learn where your choke lane is as far as the putts that are going to give you all the all the nervous stuff. And typically those are the three, four, and five footers, you know, for most players. The amateur player just absolutely just gags when they have a three-foot putt, you know, left. Right. You know, it's interesting that you say that. We had a guest on Tuesday, uh, Women of Golf Show, Cindy and I. Uh, she was the uh, winner of the uh, previous weekend's uh, Island Resort Championship. And she said what was really interesting is that uh, she had on the last hole a four-and-a-half-foot putt. And she said she was actually more nervous over that than earlier in the, in the rounds when she had a 20, 25-foot putt. Um, because she knew she had to make that four and a half foot putt in order to make uh, to force a playoff. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure on that, and I think that happens to a lot of our uh, club golfers or our ac- uh, recreational golfers out there. Is they tend sometimes on shots which typically typically would be a little bit easier, uh, tend to get more anxiety over it because they're expected to make it, or at least they feel they should to, to make it. Uh, whereas you know, 20 or 25 or 30 feet away you know, there's not the same uh, expectation, even though they're trying to, to, you know, get it in there, but they, they have that sort of uh, uh, higher expectation on a short putt. Um, Clint, I want to go back right. just to and talk a little, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Chuck. No, go ahead. What, what I was going to say to Clint, um, I was going to ask you, Clint, um, you know, talk a little bit about chipping, um, maybe some key components. Obviously, again, it, it's going to vary from, from player to player and, and, uh, but there's always some, some key guides, if you will, or guidelines that to, to be a good chipper. Uh, things as an example, like soft hands. Uh, obviously, here uh, a lot of pros say, you know, you, you should have soft hands. What are some key components of good chipping? Well, obviously, the the key component to to any good shot is proper technique. Um, right. You know, and, and Chuck is correct, and I I think mo- uh, we all do. We start with putting. What I try to do is if I've got a person that's having difficulty chipping, I take them up to the putting green, and we're, that's where we're going to start. We're going to develop their chipping stroke on the putting green because I highly encourage people to to use the same stroke um, in their chipping as they do putting. I mean, the question I ask people very very quickly here is, why do you use a putter on the putting green? Mm. And, and they never answer. They don't know. And so, well, because right. it's designed to create the shot pattern you want. Right. And because we're on the green and it's properly manicured, we can afford and have the luxury of rolling the ball all the way. So right. when you can't do that, then you've chosen a club that's going to create the shot pattern you want, just like you did when you chose the putter to use on the putting green. So there's really no reason. And you know what you have to do to make the ball roll with a putter? You have to hit the back of the ball. That's it. Right. Okay. So I encourage people to, to okay, you, you need to put the ball in the air a little bit. You've chosen a club that's designed to put it in the air. So all you got to do is hit the back of the ball. And by the way, your putting stroke has enough speed and power in it to make the ball go that distance. 
So we right. try to develop a good putting stroke, which means that, like Chuck just got through saying, that the putter head doesn't pass the hands. We stay tilted and keep the spine correctly, not trying to lift it in the air. We see so many people, when they start chipping, let their spine angle drift backwards trying to lift it in the air. So we, we work right. on make, making sure that they keep their spine angle up or at least even leaning slightly forward, not backwards, and get them to understand that all they have to do is the back of the ball and the club will respond. The ball will respond to the impact of the club, I should say, and it will go in the air. I always I challenge people to make it roll with their wedge. Right. So if you can roll it with your wedge, and then and they can't. Right. So then if it's designed to put it in the air and you hit the back of the ball, it will react to the design. And, again, starting with their putting, making sure that they control their spine angle and their chipping, don't try to lift it, and I think they'll see great success. The last thing I'll say on this is that use, most people try to use too much loft. They try right. to use a sand wedge when they could be using a pitching wedge and far much better. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, the reason why I want to talk about some of this, you know, now that we're, you know, uh, a, a good distance into the golf season, I mean, obviously some areas um, that we're all in, uh, whether it be the southeast or, or even west, you know, have, has a good conducive climate all year round to play. But for those sure. that are up north that, you know, don't get the advantage, they're, they're out there right now. And a lot of times, you know, you'd be surprised they forget some of these um uh, fundamentals and some of the basics, if you will, and it's always good to remind them, you know, every season, some of the things that they could be doing to improve uh, the likelihood of success out there. And, and Chuck, something else too that, um, you know, is um, their tempo. This is something that gets lost, especially again for those in uh, maybe more northern climates that haven't been practicing or playing all seasons long. They come out and they're a little bit rusty. What are some good things that you like to do? Um, to help get people sort of back into that swing rhythm for the season? Well, so if you're talking uh, about short game, uh, again, most people, when they have a, a wedge in their hands around the green, they're trying to help it in the air, and you'll see, you'll see this slow, and, then, and it's like they're chasing it, like they TC chinned it. You know, they'll try to chase it, and sometimes they'll hit it twice with the club head. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as... As getting in rhythm and sequence, um, you know, there's a, a, I don't know if you've had Michael Romantowski on your show or yet or not, or Jeff Young, but uh, uh, they come up with no. this stuff to build sequence and speed, and I use it a lot, um, especially with players that have bad tempo and really bad sequence as far as how the body, arms, hands, and club work. And I, I don't care if you're a 50 handicap, you swing this thing and it gets you more in sequence. Now, you don't have to have one of those. You can do it with your own golf club. But just feel like, to me, you feel like your rib cage goes back and through. And, and, it's, and it's almost like a two-to-one. Back and then on, on the through, that's one-to-one or to impact. And we want to go past impact and create the speed out in front. Now, scientifically, that's not what really happens because you have a ball and a club face, and they both rebound uh, at collision. But the feel is you're trying to get the speed in front. So if you've got all the speed going back, you're not going to have it when you need it to come down. And if you have it starting in the downstroke, then you're not going to have it coming through the ball. So the best way to do that is think about dancing, like you're going left, right, 
left, right if you're a right-handed player. So you just feel it go into the right heel and into the left heel while you're still just moving your pelvis, your chest, your rib cage, and your arms. And that's the best thing I know for sequence. And, and the other thing you can take is, is a long piece of rope and then just double end it, hold the double end, swing that thing back over your shoulders, let it rest, and then swing forward. If you're one of those people that your right shoulder for right-handed player comes out and then you snap your hands, that rope is going to wrap around and hit you on the right side of your body. So just little things like that to get their tempo. Just think of a think of a metronome, if nothing else, you know, or say right. it out loud, you know. So if I'm making a if I'm making a big battery, I'm going to go one and two for me is not going to happen. Uh, I try to make it happen post impact, so to kind of feel that rhythm working. Right, right. Well said, and I think two guys. You know, like any golf shot, your setup is, is extremely important. I think a lot of times if you set up correctly, uh, a lot of those things will happen naturally. Your body can move in a natural motion. But if you're set up incorrectly, if, you know, Clint, as you mentioned, you know, if you're, uh, your, your tilt is, is incorrect, then you're going to obviously have to compensate the opposite way in order to keep balance. And if it's not set correctly to begin with, uh, then you're going to be sort of falling all over the place, even on your short shots. I want to talk about mm-hmm. um, some other types of shot. Clint, I'm going to come back to you. And mm-hmm. there's really two areas for each here that I'm going to give you guys. And uh, again, I know we don't have the, the benefit of visualization here uh, on the show, but um, I want you to, to help uh, people understand a little bit of how to handle situations like this. You know, we're, we're moving out to the golf course. We're not on the lesson tee anymore. And obviously, unlike on the lesson tee, where you more often not have a perfect lie or a pretty good lie, you're not always going to be faced that uh, faced with that. Excuse me, on the golf course. So, um, the first ones I want to talk about is uh, ball above and below the feet. So obviously, you know, maybe your tee shot is is hit into a, a, a grassy mound or something, uh, or the fairway is uh, sloping one way or the other. So let's take the the ball above the feet. Um, we're going to set up a little bit differently. Talk a little bit about that because again, we're not always going to get a perfect lie out in the fairway. So. Uh, right. Help the golfers understand when the ball is above their feet, and I know it's going to vary depending on the severity of the slope, but just give mm-hmm. them a general overview of, of how to handle a situation like that. Okay. All right, so I'm, I'm let's say, 150 yards away, and the ball is slightly above my feet. Is that what we're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, first thing that they need to be concerned about, and you just hit on it, and Chuck uh, just did a, did a great job with it, is that these unlevel lies, whether it's uphill, downhill, whatever, there, there's two things that most people have trouble with, and that's one, their rhythm around that unlevel area, but most importantly, their balance. Right. Is that when you're on these, un, heck, most of us can't control our balance on flat ground. And, and so right. w- when we get on these slopes, balance and being able to control the motion of your body is obviously critical. So what I ask them to do is, is when they get on these unlevel lies, widen their stance out a little bit and get down into their body just a little bit more in order to help their balance. And then, they, then they've got a chance of making what will be considered a normal golf swing in an unusual circumstance. Now, right. most of us know that the ball is going to fly downhill. If the ball is slightly above your feet, you tend to want to hit a little bit of a pull. 
if the ball's below your feet, you're going to hit a little bit of a push. So what I've encouraged people to do is, is analyze the situation in front of you. If it's just green, aim a little to the right and let the let the, the don't fight the slope. Play the slope. Don't right. fight it. Okay. Take advantage of it. Know what the ball is to do. Now, obviously, it's not going to happen that way every time, you know. But I would encourage the people to understand the ball flies downhill. Aim a little bit up the hill. You know, in in this particular case, I'm going to open up my stance where I can get on through the ball as well, okay? And But balance is critical. So take a practice swing just below your ball. Feel the balance your body wants to do, where it wants to go, and, and then try to, to uh, aim and, and maintain your balance accordingly uh, and move the ball on towards the green. Balance is critical. Right. Now, in a situation, let me just let me just ask you, Clint, uh, and then Chuck. I'm going to move on to something different for you. In the case where the ball is above the feet, uh, and again, depending on the severity of how how far uh, above your feet it is, um, do you want to feel like your weight is a little bit more towards uh, your toes a little bit, on, and you're and feeling like you're standing up a little bit more on the shot? Again, and, and, you have to find you have to find your balance. Okay. Right. In most in most cases, as the scenario you described, means that I'm going to be a little bit wider and a little bit more into my body. That's what I meant by into my body. I'm going right. to be more okay. down and in because that's going to push me into that slope. Right. I didn't quite maybe explain okay. what I meant by that term, but I'm going to widen out a little bit to control my balance and get down and into my body, which is going to put me a little bit more towards the toes which helps me uh, maintain my balance on that slope. Right. Yeah. And then obviously, and then obviously the, the opposite, uh, if the ball is b- below your feet, you're going to want to feel like you're um, not really sitting down, but a little bit more back towards the heels uh, in a case right. like that. Right. Again, again, if I'm down, if I'm standing on that slope, I widen my stance and I'm into my body, the slope is going to take me to my center. Right. Okay? okay. You try this. If if you get and, and the ball's below your feet and you get into your body, it's going to move you towards your heels. You're going right. to get down into it. Your body is a unique animal. It will find its balance if you help it. So just right. get into get into your body a little bit, get down a little lower, and let your body find its balance on these slopes. And and the thing I've always tried to do in my game and tell people, widen your stance just a little bit to help you on those unlevel lies, but let your body feel that it's center. It'll find it because it, it it's going to do everything it can do to maintain its balance if you let it. Right. And I think also, too, a, an important key on, on either shot is to swing within yourself. You know, when you're dealing with an uneven lie, again, to, to maintain that balance, not only getting yourself in the proper position, Sure. Um, but you don't you don't want to feel like you're, you know, swinging for the hills because that's going to more than likely create a scenario where you're going to come out of balance uh, because you're swinging a right. little harder than more. So in a case like that, maybe you need to take an extra club. Uh, than well, what you maybe might so. For that now, if dis- the ball's below my feet, I agree. But if the right. ball is slightly above my feet, I'm going to tend to hit a pull, which means the ball's going to travel a little further. Right. Okay. So right. Exactly. The club. And let's leave it at this. Club selection is very important, and you have to understand yourself a little bit that, yes, down below my feet, I'm probably going to hit an extra club maybe. Uh, above my feet, I'm probably going to just hit my normal club. Right. Okay. 
yeah, I want to. I just want the folks to understand, make sure they they have a clear understanding of of what we're talking about, um, because you know we see this all the time, guys. You know, in some of our practice sessions with our students, especially as I said, when we take them out on the golf course and they get into a scenario like that, it's very common for them to not understand how to prepare themselves for the shot, and that's really the key thing. It's not so much that the shots themselves. I mean, obviously, there's some difficult shots on the golf course. But it's not so much the shots themselves are difficult, it's the preparation, if it's not done correctly, makes it that much more difficult. You know, well Ted, said, just to add, add one final thing to what you're saying, I hate to interrupt, but I, I have uh, two rules. The ball always flies downhill, remember that, and you always play the ball towards your highest foot. If you do that, right. you're going to be in better position. Downhill lie, you're playing it towards your trailing foot. That's your highest foot. Uphill lie, you're playing the ball a little bit towards your front foot, which, again, is your highest foot. So position yourself right. with the ball closer to the highest foot, and you'll, you'll stand a chance of at least being more prepared than you probably normally would be. Right. Yeah, right. I, well said. I would agree with that, and, 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 and I would add on top. I would agree with that, and I would add on top that, you know, when you have an uneven lie, the first thing you have to do is make it even. So... Uh, you go back to the ball above the feet scenario. When you set up, you know, the the, the toe of the club is actually up in the air more than the heel on an uphill lie. And I simply tell my players, just raise the handle or your hands and grip until that toe comes down and just reverse for the ball below your feet. And, <laughs> for, and that generally takes out the big pulls and pushes. In fact, better players on a downhill lie tend to pull it a lot. Because they're trying to overcompensate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, all right, Chuck. I want to talk to you. Uh, and again, two different scenarios here, just to maybe explain a little bit the difference on how to handle uh, each of these situations. Uh, first up would be the greenside bunker, and then the fairway bunker. So start with the greenside bunker. Uh, obviously, um, something that a lot of our, our amateur or club golfers um, struggle with. Uh, what are the key things that they need to remember when trying to get out of a greenside bunker? And then how do they handle a fairway bunker? Because it is a little bit different. Yeah, so with the greenside bunker, you're not trying to hit the ball at all. You're trying to hit the sand at a certain distance behind the golf ball. So if you got in and dug your feet in and it goes down two inches and it's two inches behind, if you're in, in those real soft Florida bunkers, it could be four inches behind the ball. And if you're out here in the desert southwest, <clears throat> these bunkers are hard. So in in these cases, you're still trying to hit behind it, but you hit behind it with with a more square face, not using the balance. And I see a lot of people when they get in the bunker, again, they're trying to throw the club head past the hands coming into the ball, and they'll usually blade it, and that ball will go over the green or hit the face of the bunker and just stay in there. So, you know, when you get set up, you know, I personally don't teach open your body lines. I don't teach, I teach them to hit it from a square body line, just like they would any other shot. Open the club face, get their stance really wide so you can, that helps lower your center of gravity. Then you just, and you can have some turn, you can have some knee movement and some hip motion in the backswing, and then feel, feel much more arms and upper body in the downswing. And I use a, a, a two-by-four drill that I stole from Dave Pels years ago. It's a four-foot <laughs> two-by-four that's painted white. Right. And I bury it in the bunker so you can still see the white. 
and then I'll put a, a uh, wedge full of sand. You know, just take my sandwich, pick up some, some sand, put it on the board, and you want to set this, when you're doing this at home, you want to set this up four to five inches back from the front edge of the board, the edge closest to the green. Swing down and try to move that pile of sand. So if you can throw the sand on the green, the ball will go on the green. If you leave the sand in the bunker, generally the ball will stay in the bunker. So right. once you've hit that, hit that shot, look at the bottom of your wedge, and that's the reason you paint it white. Where did it hit? Did it hit in the center, the heel, or the toe? Did it hit on the leading edge, uh, on, the, on the sole, or on the trailing edge using the bounce? So that's how you can figure out what you're trying to do in the bunkers. But, so, but in a fairway bunker, you generally want to play the ball back just a little bit, which means now you strengthen your grip just a little bit. So for us right-handers, that means turn the lead hand you know, uh, to your right, and you want to hit ball first instead of sand first, like you do in a greenside bunker. Take your normal stance. You're not you, the foot. The, the, the footwork is going to be a little bit different. You can still have all these, all this move and all this rotation. You're just not going to have a lot of shift or a lot of movement of pressure to the right for this, you know, for the bunker shot out in the uh, fairway. But and you'll mm-hmm. also limit your lower body on coming through. Because just because of stability, but take one club more, strengthen the grip, play the ball back a little bit for the fairway bunker, and experiment with the greenside bunker. Some players like to play it in the center when they get really low. Some players play it forward. It, it just depends on how much movement you're going to have with your body. Right, right. And the key thing is, as you pointed out, is in the greenside bunker, of course, you're not there to hit the ball you're there to actually move the sand and the ball just is essentially in the way uh, or goes along for the ride right. and in a fairway bunker obviously you're trying to pick the ball first uh, and not uh, the same as you would for a greenside bunker and I think that's where a lot of people get confused um, you know they think okay I'm on a greenside bunker so I got to dig my my feet in and when they get out in the fairway bunkers they're doing the same thing uh, to the same degree and then they wonder why they're not advancing the ball forward so it's different techniques and different ways to handle certain things and I think you know folks for those of you tuning into the show I think if you listen to what the gentlemen have been saying about these various different shots um, and and really how to approach them and it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago is the shots are only as difficult um, as unprepared you are if you will in your preparation so if you're not preparing yourself correctly um, to set up properly and to execute the shot properly, then obviously you're not going to get a good result. And I think it all starts with the setup, and that's why I want to talk about that. Clint, I want to uh, talk into uh, two other areas as well that a lot of people struggle with. Um, obviously here, uh, in uh, particularly on the East Coast here, uh, where we have a lot of pine trees, uh, every once in a while we'll hit it into some pine straw. Uh, a lot of things to be careful of there. Uh, obviously you have to be careful if you're playing in a tournament, um, and you've got some things in the way that you, uh, you know, when you're moving some of the loose impediments that you don't move the uh, uh, pine straw and ultimately move your ball because you're going to incur a penalty. Um, but talk about a little bit about hitting out of pine straw. Is there something different that the folks need to, to be mindful of? And then also hitting off hard pan. Uh, 
uh, again, that's something that uh, you know we're going to get into, explain a little bit about what it is, and and uh, maybe how to handle those shots a little bit differently as well. Well, I, as far as a pine straw or hitting it off of you know out of a you know a, a barked area, things of that nature, I tend to play those shots like I would a, a fairway bunker. I'm I'm going to move the ball back a little bit, be very careful in taking my stance, and make sure I hit the ball first. You know, it depends on you know that that's really what you have to do with any good shot. The pine straw, right. or the bark, or the sand just makes that maybe a little bit more difficult to do. But you you have to hit the ball first. Now, I think, and unless we're we're the ball positioning a little further back, I mean the ball's going to come off a little bit lower, probably catch mm-hmm. it a little thin generally, you right. know. Uh, so you might want to take a club. If you don't have any trees in front of you, obviously, if you've got open space and you get it out, you might want to take a club that may not quite get you to the green under normal circumstances, but add a little bit of loft. The ball's going to come off a little bit lower, so that 8-iron may act more like a 7-iron. Right. Uh, and, and just try to make a good calm balanced swing and not try to do anything special just hit the ball like you normally would you know we all know that the vast majority of people that play this game that are kind of sweepers they they don't right. hit down and through the ball very well so these shots are very difficult for them so if they can improve their ball striking a little bit by maintaining a better spine angle and impact and stand balanced then these shots get to be a little bit easier your point was well taken a minute ago about being prepared. Some shots that are quite simple become very difficult when your your technique and your positioning are off to almost impossible. Right. So on that particular right. shot, I'd move the ball back in my stance a little bit, play a little bit more lofty club, and just try to stay down and, and hit hit down and through, catch the ball first. Okay? Hard right. pants. A little trickier situation. Um the obviously that Chuck just brought up the point about bounce, and uh, mm-hmm. out west you you don't use as much bounce on a sand wedge as you would here in the south with the softer sand. Now when you get into the hard pan, you're really dealing with how the club is going to react to the impact of the ground. Right. And so you have to be very careful here with your p- ball position and setup. I try to make sure that I move the ball forward a little bit and try to catch the ball a little bit more on the upswing. So I'm kind of wanting to pick it. I'm not going to move this ball back in my stance like I did in the bunker or or in that that pine straw. I'm going to try to pick this ball really clean, so I'm going to move it ahead of the bottom of my swing arc a little bit. And, and then take a little bit more club than I normally would and, and just try to make good, solid impact with the ball and be more of a picking attitude. So on hard pan, I'm going to add a little bit of club, and I'm going to move the ball ahead of the bottom of my arc where I can almost guarantee I'm going to pick it clean. Try not to make contact with that hard pan because what I do, the club's going to bounce, and I'm going to hit a really ugly shot when it does. Right. And – you know, again, these are shots that, you know, if you're set up in the correct fashion, as as you're both suggesting, yeah. you're going to have an easier time executing them. And, you know, these are shots that, you know, as I said in the beginning of the segment, that 
you're not going to traditionally find, obviously you're not likely, uh, unless the greenskeeper is not uh, doing things properly, you're going to find pine straw or very much of it on the practice tee. So, oh, yeah. uh, and, and same with hard pan and, and some of these other things that we're, we're talking about, obviously your bunker shots and things, but um, even, you know, the ball above and below the feet, unless you go to one end of the range or you go to an area that you can practice these things, these are shots that you're going to be faced with all the time. Uh, on a regular basis, it doesn't matter what uh, level of player, they all at some point are going to be faced with these types of shots. And understanding how to set up and prepare yourself for these shots is going to, again, yield a greater success in the golf course. And this is one of the things that I think that a lot of our amateur golfers guys do incorrectly at the beginning of a, a golf season is they get out there and they're practicing the sort of the vanilla shot, if you will, the, the perfect lie and uh, the teed up balls with their driver and so forth. And they're not practicing a lot of these other shots when in fact, most of the shots that we've described so far and the ones that to follow are what you're going to more than likely be faced with out in the golf course. So if you're not practicing these and not working on these areas, when you get faced with that, you're not going to know how to set up properly, or you're not going to understand how to execute the shots properly. And that's why I wanted to talk about them tonight. Uh, and, and really a lot of these shots, certainly not all of them, sort of fall into that short game or scoring game uh, scenario. So, um, Chuck, I want to go to you. And another one is, um, you know, in the rough. Uh, we've got both scenarios. Ball uh, sort of sitting up in the rough, uh, you know, and that sort of a nice fluffy lie in the grass. And then we've got others where it's buried. Uh, two different uh, shots and two ways to approach this. Let's talk about the ball sort of sitting up in a fluffy lie and then talk about when it's buried a little deep, how we handle those shots. So, and that kind of depends on the players as well. Uh, sure. The, the better player on the fluffy lie, you, you want to feel like, you know, I see so many of, of these guys guys and gals setting their club behind the ball on the fluffy lie, and the ball is higher than the top of the club face. That should tell you something right there. You're not trying to hit down so much on that ball. You're trying to sweep that off of that fluffy lie so, because if you go down and get it, it's going to hit high in the face. If it hits high in the face, it's not going to go as far. Um, when you got a ball setting way down, now you have to change your angle of attack to a steeper approach to try to get uh, as as less an amount of grass between your club and the ball as possible. So you don't want to use a shallow swing when it's down because you get too much grass in there. Versus when the ball's setting up you want to feel it a little more rounded and a little more level coming through and not so much of a descending blow. Right. And what about in a buried uh, situation? That's obviously going to be a little bit different. Yeah, I, I talked about the ball sitting down in the grass. Okay. So, yeah, when okay. it's sitting down at the bottom, you have to steepen the angle of attack to minimize the interference between the grass, the club, and the ball. So when you've got that, you want to. So if you if you use a visual image with a ball setting down in the grass, you want to make a swing that is more V-shaped, steeper going back, steeper coming down, and then steeper coming out. And with the ball setting on top, you want to make more of a of a U or more of a shallow type swing and not dig, dig down after it. Because what will happen is you'll hit it too high in the face, it comes up short, and you're wondering, and you see a big grass mark at the top of your club. Right. 
Now, what about also, let me just add into this, um, you know, we often hear about uh, some players talking about, some of the better players talking about maybe opening up the club face a little bit because obviously when you're dealing with that thicker grass in the rough, uh, there's a chance it's going to catch the hawse a little bit and maybe even shut the uh, the club face. Is that something that you uh, address as well with, with some of your students is to, to be mindful of that so that they're uh, maybe opening that club face a little bit on, on those shots? Well, it just depends on the level of the player. If I had a 15 hand handicapper, I probably wouldn't do that. But for better players, uh, sure, you know, because you want to. And again, it's, it's how much grass interference you have. The, the, right. the deeper the ball, the more grass interference you're going to have. So yes, it can twist the club. But you know what? What I found over the years is 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 the the real thick grass. Uh, has a tendency, like like say bluegrass or deep Bermuda, does have a tendency to grab the club and shut the face right. down. But yet you go you go out to where they play the open, you know, over in over in the UK and Ireland, you've got grass that's three foot tall, but it's real thin and wispy. So you don't get as right. much of that when you have the thinner, taller grass. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, you can just play. You, well said, you, you can basically play a normal shot out of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which, and, which by and, the and way, again, I had a, I, I, a a friend of mine, and I taught him since he was eight years old, and now his teacher, uh, Chris Spade, is teaching him. He just graduated from Huntington College, uh, uh, three-time All-American this May. He went over for the uh, Open Qualifier. So he shot a uh, course record 64, and now he's moving to second stage, which is next week. So congratulations, Good. Stephen. Yeah, well done. Um, uh, great answers, by the way, Chuck. Thank you. Um, Clint, here, uh, just a couple more, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll sort of wrap up with some final thoughts. Sure. Um, you know, obviously, we're, we're not going to always uh, hit the perfect shot into the green as much as we'd like, so... Uh, sometimes uh, it, it, we're successful and it lands on the green um, and maybe uh, might actually roll up against the collar of the green. So there's, a, a, again, a diff- different shot there that a lot of people might be faced with out there that they're not used to on, on how to handle, and there might be a variety of ways. And, again, it depends on the circumstance, depending on the level of player. And then, obviously, the ball sometimes might go over. And it might be just a few short yards off where it may uh, not necessarily – uh, in every case, be conducive to to use a putter. You might have to might be a good snare for a chip. So talk about that. You know, when you're not hitting it uh, always perfectly on the green, and and especially uh, sure. again in, in that shot where you're hitting up against the collar. How do you uh, suggest that people sort of address that? Well, there's a couple of things, but very quickly back uh, add some of what Chuck said. Don't don't try to be a hero when you're in a bad spot. Get the ball right. back out into some short grass. You know, don't don't try to overplay what you got. And the second thing is about those difficult shots that we don't ever get a chance to practice. Mm. Every driving range practically in America has tree lines or something down the sides. And I guarantee you the operator there would be more than happy to have you go out and knock them balls out of the woods. <laughs> so you can, you can sneak out there and practice those shots while you're helping somebody put the balls back in the open space in the range. You know, we all did that as kids, but, you know, we got guys at our club now, they come out and they bang balls out. So we're going out there, you can practice while you're doing it. And they have a ball right. doing it. 
okay? So ask the local operator if you can help them get the balls back into the driving range. I guarantee you they'll tell you, yeah, and you can practice while you're doing it. Now, to back to your question, is if the ball's up against the, the edge of the green, I think that's one of the most difficult shots to manage or control the pace and speed, you know, how hard you hit it. Because the, the right. impact of that ball is so, you know, out there. I mean, it's hard to determine how you're going to make contact with the ball. Sometimes flush, sometimes chicky, a little chunky, sometimes a little thin. It's kind of hard to manage. So what I try to get people to do, and, and we've seen them do it, you don't necessarily have to use your putter here. It may be right. a five iron. Take something you know that you can get over that grass is not going to catch, and you can kind of hit down on it. So, you know, put the ball back in your stance. Maybe take a eight or a nine iron, and it just hit a little, almost a little chip run. We see a lot of guys on tour using hybrids to do that with. Right. I I don't think the 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 fifteen handicappers check would say maybe not have that shot. But what they do have is that little eight iron or nine iron that they can move back in their stance and just kind of move it up there. Okay. Um, the second shot you talked about where it rolled off the green, maybe not quite a pitch, you know, it's just in that, that second cut. You know, I, I, th- I think that we all fall victim of, of what we see on television. And right. that most of the shots that we see the tour players hit are from complicated areas. They're using a lot of loft. And for some reason, we all think that's how they hit them all. Right. But they never show that shot you're talking about because it's boring. They never yep. show it. And they then I think most of us try to use and I alluded to this earlier in the show, they try to use too much loft. That mm-hmm. shot needs to be hit with a lower lofted club. Hit that old fashioned bump and run. It's not a spectacular shot, but it will it, it's gonna hold the line. You'll be able to get it online easier. The ball roll and impact is going to be more predictable, so you can control the pace of your shot much better. And the ball then, most of the time anyway, is going to be moving towards the hole with some momentum, maybe sometimes too much, okay? But it's not going to be bouncing up and down. It's going to be moving towards the hole with a chance to maybe roll in. I think we all should understand that very seldom when you chip a ball in that it's bouncing in. It's always right. rolling in. It never bounces mm-hmm. in. Every now and then you get one that just gets lucky and bounces in. <laughs> but all your chips right. that go in are rolling like a putt. So get it on the ground as quick as you can. Use less loft. you got a much better chance of, of, of being successful, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, something to add. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Um, you know, something else, uh, Clint, to add to that as well uh, and, and sort of reinforcing what you just said you know, what a lot of uh, our amateur players do by taking too much loft, what they don't understand is, and again, obviously it depends why, but a lot of times they, they you know, go end up going right underneath the ball and, uh, you know, don't advance it forward. Or the other thing is they kind of get a little bit skittish because they know they've got to take a little more fuller swing in order to, to get it, uh, to, you know, to pop up and get out there uh, the distance they need. Um, they end up sort of choking last minute and end up blading the ball and it shoots across the green sure. to the other side. So it's just you know, a harder shot you're to be exa- successful with. Simple. Right, exactly. And and you're exactly right. You know, a lot of the shots that we see on television, um, you know, they look kind of uh, you know exciting and and whatnot. In many cases, there are, but you're not always seeing the full picture. And uh, right. sometimes that's the shot that that individual and you know somebody like a, a Phil Mickelson who plays 
you know, those shots uh, quite a bit over his career, uh, you know, has practiced those shots, you know, literally tens of thousands of times in his lifetime. So he's well uh, able to execute them. Where a lot of our amateurs, again, they don't practice a lot of these shots. So um, it, it becomes very difficult. And, and you know, just sort of in closing, I'll give you guys just a, a, a moment or two each to, to just maybe sort of sum up uh, with the short game or the scoring game, as you, as you put it, Clint. Um, and Chuck, I'm going to start with you. It's just to talk a little bit about what um, you feel in, as a general rule, what people could focus on to improve a little bit better uh, scoring opportunities out on the golf course. Um, Chuck, you go first, then Clint. Well, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is keep it in play off the tee. So, you know, you're going to miss fairways. Everybody misses fairways. But what you don't want is penalties off the tee. And then your approach shot, get it on or near the green. You're not going to hit every green either. So if you can get it on or near the green, now you have a chance to still get it up and down with the chip and the putt. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I see it every day. Everybody's out there. All of us that teach see it every day. The driving range is filled with people hitting golf balls. The, the putting green, if you're lucky enough to have a chipping pitching greens, uh, you, you never see anybody over there. So they're spending all their time working on shots that really don't make a difference score-wise. I mean, yeah, you, right. you take a penalty on a tee shot or you hit it out of bounds on your, on your approach shot, yeah, that's a penalty. But they're not working on the stuff that actually lowers the score. And that's going to be your chipping, pitching, putters, and, and bunkers. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I, and I, I, I know I would, that you... I would spend a lot more time. I'd spend a lot more time doing that. And, and and for the for the listeners, if you've ever been to a tour event, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all these players have whatever they're working on, whether it's their putting, their chipping, or full swing, they have all of these tools or training aids that they use to keep ingraining that. And they do this week after week after week after week. Normal people you yep. see at the driving range, the normal people, don't use anything. They don't put an alignment stick down. They don't put no. two T's up, for example, for their, you know, for a putter gate. They don't do any of that stuff. Why are the best players in the world the best players in the world? Because they do the things that the average player doesn't want to do. It's not right. fun practicing your putting for two hours. I, you know, listen, I'd rather hit drivers for two hours. Well, yeah, that's right. fun, but it's not, guess what? It's not going to improve your game as far as your scoring. Yeah. So well, spend and, the time and, and, with the yeah. scoring stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and, and, you know, you know it, again, it's fun to, to practice your drives, but the truth is that more often than what not, what a lot of these people are doing is they're, they're trying to hit it farther, which, you know, certainly is important, to, you know, getting some distance off the tee. Um, but they're not even practicing good fundamentals there uh, with their driver. They're just trying to see how far they can hit it. And, and um, you know, uh, obviously they're trying to hit it as accurate as they can, but they're not always practicing. You know, you can't sit there for two or stand there for two hours hitting your driver off the tee in a practice session and expect to see, uh, you know, necessarily great improvement in your game if that's the only thing you're practicing on. Uh, Clint, go ahead. Your, some of your thoughts. I know you're going to concur a lot with Very Chuck, quickly. Hell, I can't hit drivers for two hours. I mean, I, I don't know what y'all are, <laughs> what y'all are eating. <laughs> it wears me out. But real quickly, if they really want to improve their game, We've talked about this many times on this show. Yep. 
analyze and determine what clubs they hit their third shots with. And for the vast majority of people, it's going to be a nine iron down to their putter. And if they get where they can get that shot on the green and be successful, if it's up around the green, get it close, then their score is going to come down. Because you yep. can do the math. If you get on every hole, you get your third shot on the on the green, and two putt, you shoot 90. Yep. Okay? Simple math. And so if what I would suggest they do is they allot $10 a week. Okay? Allot $10 a week for range balls. Go to their local pro shop or wherever it's at and buy $20 balls. So you're going to spend 30 bucks this week. And you, mm-hmm. you, you buy one bag of balls with your $10 and use the other 20 balls the rest of the week. Around mm-hmm. the green, out of the bunkers, putting. And your score is going to come down. Chuck's right. If you practice the shots that put the ball around the hole and in the hole, you're going to get better. And your score yep. will come down no matter how many times it takes you to get there. So mm-hmm. analyze. if I could say nothing else, analyze what clubs you hit your third shots with and be and practice those more than you do your driver, and your scores will come down almost guaranteed. Yep. And and you raise a great point too, you know, uh, again getting on and every hole in three shots. Again, if you even if you two putt everything, that's hitting, you know, 90. And 90. you know, statistics, yeah, statistics show that 50% of all uh, our amateur golfers are having difficulty breaking 100. So, right. you know, if they would practice that, that, they they could shave 10 strokes off, you know, just like that. Um, by just practicing some of the things that we talked about here tonight, and, and they'll save guys. and they'll save fifty bucks a week, and they can drink more beer. What? what how bad could it be? Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, well. Yeah. Exactly. Well said. Well, guys, as always, thank you, thank you very much for uh, an enlightening discussion, and hopefully, uh, the listeners uh, took away a little bit from from this uh, tonight. And and again, you know, the, the key thing here, really, folks, is you need to go out and practice. Um, and you need to practice smart and with a purpose. And don't just go out there and, and you know beat balls for an hour or so uh, on the on the practice tee or, or um, you know on the driving range. Uh, get out there and use some of the other uh, things out there. And just a little dis- disclaimer, uh, Clint, uh, if you're gonna uh, again make sure you get permission and make sure somebody knows if you're gonna creep up the side of the uh, yeah the oh yeah oh yeah and, yeah and absolutely you have, to, you have to ask permission. So I don't want somebody, just don't go out there on your yeah. own. I don't want any juniors going out there and, uh, you know, because of what you said and, and getting right, right. bumped always on the head by straight so, That's right. Make sure that it's it's uh, always uh, kosher, if you will. But, guys, thank you very much for, for joining me on, on Coach's Corner. It's always a pleasure and an honor to have you guys. And, uh, as always, you bring your best, so I appreciate that. And, and hopefully, as I said, the listeners will uh, take a little something away from tonight's discussion. So, uh, God bless to you both. Happy uh, Independence Day coming up July 4th. Uh, have a uh, happy and safe holiday, and I'll see you guys next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ted. Chuck, it's been a pleasure, bud. Okay, Clint. See you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right, bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Clint Wright and Chuck Evans uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. As always, uh, an honor and pleasure to have both of them on the panel, uh, very seasoned veterans of the game, uh, both well-accomplished. And, uh, again, always uh, bringing their best uh, to the discussion here. And uh, hopefully you guys uh, took a little way, uh, a little way something here uh, on tonight's discussion. Um, just a, a quick little uh, advertisement here uh, from our sponsor tonight, 
uh, golfswing.com. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? Golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, Golfswing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, Golfswing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at Golfswing.com. All right, and as I said at the top, so uh, after the after this tonight's uh, broadcast, go to golfswing.com, and at checkout, if you enter the promo code Golf Talk Live, you will get 50% savings off the subscription price, and it's well worth it. There's some great videos, uh, a lot of great uh, top uh, PGA uh, instructors that are uh, featured on there, like my good friend John Decker, who's been on the show uh, many many times as one of the uh, featured guests and also uh, a regular contributor to the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, he's got uh, not only some uh, general videos up there, but he's also got a great uh, short game signature series as well. So, uh, again, go to golfswing.com after the show, enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout, uh, and save up to 50% uh, off the subscription price. So, uh, definitely a worthwhile deal. Um, just a, a quick note uh, before I introduce uh, tonight's special guest. I'm just waiting for him to come on board. But um, next week, of course, uh, uh, being uh, the uh, July 4th uh, week, uh, I will not be uh, doing any shows, uh, either show uh, The Women of Golf, which would normally air Tuesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern, and, of course, Golf Talk Live uh, Thursdays from 6 to 8. Uh, will not be doing that next week. Uh, I will return the following week uh, for just a week. Uh, the week of, I believe, the 11th uh, is um, the Tuesday, and then I think it's the 13th or 14th, whatever it is, for, <laughs> for the Thursday. Um, so the following week, uh, I will be uh, here after next week uh, for two shows, and then I'm going to be uh, off again for one more week. Uh, and then so the 11th uh, for Golf Talk Live, That's uh, now that I've got it correct, the 11th and the um, uh, 25th, uh, I'll be having shows in July. So there'll just be two shows for each uh, broadcast, the Women of Golf and Golf Talk Live in July as I take uh, a brief holiday and, and break from the show. And then we'll be back uh, after that uh, with our, our regular schedule. So uh, no shows next week, just to keep that in mind. So a uh, great opportunity at the end of the, the show uh, during the outro, uh, in addition to uh, going to the blogtalkradio.com network and listening there, uh, you can also, uh, there's some other great ways through other social media sites and platforms uh, that you can follow the show and listen to some of the previously aired uh, broadcast as well. So make sure you do that. Um, as I said, tonight's uh, special guest will be joining me here in just a moment. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him while I'm waiting uh, for him to come on. And then uh, when he's on board, then we'll uh, begin uh, tonight's discussion. Uh, my special guest tonight is, as I mentioned, is Jeff Harrison. Uh, he is the Senior Vice President of Education for the Western Golf Association uh, and also the Evans Scholars Foundation. Uh, in this role, he directs all of the organization's caddy and scholarship programs, including uh, scholarship selection and overseeing the nearby, uh, nearly, excuse me, 1,000 current Evans scholars in school. Uh, prior to his current role, he was vice president of education, serving in that role uh, since January 2008. Uh, after 18 years as associate educational director, uh, Harrison caddied at the Birmingham Country Club in Birmingham, Michigan and also graduated as an Evans Scholar from Michigan State University in 1986. 
Uh, he was actually the first Evans Scholars alum in the uh, uh, in the storied history of the WGA, WGA excuse me, uh, to serve as educational director. He lives in Elmhurst, Illinois, uh, with his uh, wife and two sons. And I see he's on board. So let me uh, welcome the uh, Senior Vice President of Education for the Western Golf Association, uh, Jeff Harrison. Good evening, Jeff, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Ted, thanks so much for having me on. Not a problem. My pleasure, and I appreciate you uh, you coming on and, and joining me this evening. I, I look forward to a, a great discussion with you. Um, I think probably for the benefit of most of the listeners, just to uh, give them a little bit of background uh, on the uh, Chick Evans Scholarship and also uh, the WGA. So let's start with the WGA, just explain to them what uh, the WGA is, and then just a little bit of background on the, uh, the Evans uh, Scholarship Program. I sure will. Thanks, Ted. And uh, we think of mm -hmm. Western Golf and Evans Scholars, we think of championships and scholarships. And Western Golf Association goes back to 1899, and uh, when the first Western Open and Western Amateur were held back in 1899. And then in 1930, the Evans Scholars program started. And uh, Chick Evans, a great amateur golfer, um, really wanted to help his fellow caddies, and that's how the Evans Scholarship started. He asked Western Golf to start this caddy scholarship program. And in 1930, the first two Evans Scholars were awarded Evans Scholarships to Northwestern. And fast forward 89 years, over 10,800 caddies have received full tuition housing scholarships, and 985 Evans Scholars are in school this past year. And Western Golf uh, wow. runs several championships, including the BMW Championship on the PGA Tour, part of the FedEx Cup playoffs, mm -hmm. Western Amateur, uh, again, and the Western Junior. And we also work with the Women's Western Golf Association, helping them with their Women's Western Junior and Women's Western Amateur. So uh, we've been around for a long, long time and um, really a, a great part of the, the game of golf and caddying in general. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, what, you know, what's involved uh, in the caddy program specifically uh, and also what a caddy is. A lot of newer golfers out there that may be not familiar with that terminology or not uh, still fairly new to the game. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to go back just to some of the background here um, with respect to um, the scholarship opportunities, Nat. Um, what are some of the, the um, obviously there, there's no real restriction, is there, or what are some of the, the terms, if you will, of, of uh, getting the scholarships? Sure. And again, it starts with caddying. Chick Evans was a caddy, and he wanted to help his fellow mm -hmm. caddies go to college. and He had to drop out after only a year uh, because he couldn't afford it. And so right. it really starts with caddying. Um, we say uh, the four core criteria for applying for an Evans scholarship are strong caddy record, excellent academics, demonstrated financial need, and outstanding character and leadership. And those uh, who are getting their senior year in high school uh, apply for the scholarship, and those who best meet those four core criteria are named finalists and interviewed in front of a finalist committee. So it's very competitive, uh, but this past year, 280 caddies from around the country uh, received uh, scholarships. Right, and that's a big boost. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there's well over 10,000, nearly 11,000 actually uh, in the history, um, but 280 this year are, are uh, in that category, which is obviously uh, very exciting for you guys. And I want to point out just a couple of quick uh, pointers just for the audience, just to sort of put things in perspective. 
um, just to uh, so they understand a little bit of the value that um, many of the, the you know uh, individuals that are partaking into the uh, program. Um, the estimated value, if you will, is is just a little over 120,000 over the four. Years. Uh, program. So, I mean, obviously that's a, a pretty big expense for a lot of folks to be able to do. So this allows, um, you know, unlike Chick himself who wasn't able to do that, um, allows a, the opportunity for folks to come in and have much of that expense covered. And just, a, again, over uh, all time, uh, the Evans Scholars Foundation has provided, uh, again, just over $385 million in tuition and housing expenses. So that's obviously... Um, helps a lot of families out, and I'm sure you guys get a lot of feedback um, from some of the participants. We do, Ted, and, um, and we think it's a life-changing opportunity that uh, world-class universities like the 18 universities involved with the Evans Scholars Program, they're very expensive. They're out of reach right. for many families, especially if you're not going to go into uh, uh, a large student debt. And um, so I know firsthand, I'm an Evans Scholar alum myself, I carried right. in the Detroit area, carried at Birmingham Country Club, and I can tell you that going to Michigan State uh, and being able to graduate from Michigan State debt-free uh, is a real game-changer for me and my family. And um, we hear stories like that all the time uh, of right. being able to, to, to go to these great schools, uh, do well, concentrate on their academics, and then become great citizens. Right. And, and that's, you know, and again, in, in this climate, if you will, you know, we often hear about student debt and things like that. And that can be uh, a tremendous burden for a lot of people that, uh, you know, when they, they finish their, their, you know, tenure at school, um, come out and, and suddenly they're, they're absorbed in, in a bunch of debt. And that can be very daunting for a lot of people. Something else, too, that I want to point out to the listeners, um, and again, to, to brag a little bit, again, uh, about the Evans Scholars is um, in 2019, uh, they had a 95% graduation rate and a cumulative GPA of 3.3, which is very, very Im impressive. Um, again, you're you're getting a good uh, caliber student, if you will, and obviously giving them an opportunity. And 95% graduation rate is, is uh, really unheard of in, in today's uh, you know market. So um, that that's certainly something to be very proud of. Well, thank you, Ted. We are. We're very proud of that. And Really, it starts with caddying, the great uh, life skills you learn caddying, why it's such a, a phenomenal summer job for young men and women, and you're getting up early while your friends are sleeping in, and teamwork on the golf course, and the communication skills and work ethic that you develop as a caddy. And then uh, our students live together. They live together in community in our scholarship houses, mm -hmm. and that develops a, a real support system. College is hard to navigate. Um, there are uh, things that come up along the way, but our students support each other. Um, they have their tuition paid. They have a place to live. They're around their fellow caddies and fellow Evan scholars, and it's a it's a formula for success. And when you say 95% graduation rate and 3.3 overall GPA, uh, we're very proud of those statistics and uh, very proud of the young men and women who have been able to accomplish those. Right, and that's just a, a great point to, to just uh, – really emphasize is the fact that it's open to uh, both men and women or, you know, boys and girls, if you will. Uh, so it's not just limited to, to one or the other. So that's a great opportunity for young ladies as well um, that maybe have an interest. And, and, you know, you don't have to, what's, what's really interesting is you don't have to be 
you know, a five handicap or, or better or something like that. It's just obviously you, you, you know, have to have a certain experience in, in caddying in that. So let's talk about becoming a caddy because you, as you said, you were a caddy yourself. So for somebody that's maybe interested that doesn't know a lot about that uh, or a parent that thinks there could be a good opportunity for their child to get involved in a program, even if it's something that they're not necessarily going to do lifelong, um, how do they become a caddy? What's sort of the, uh, the best way to get started? Again, we're biased. We think caddying is the best summer job for young people. Um, <laughs> and um, we estimate there are over 700 clubs and uh, resorts around the country that offer caddy programs. And we actually, on our website, have a caddy club locator. Over 500 of those clubs are in our caddy club locator. And that you can put in your zip code or your hometown and and look and see uh, if there's a local club around you. Um, usually 14, 15 are great um, years to start. Usually start in the early spring, March mm-hmm. uh, is when you sign up. And uh, take a look, and if you, if you live near a, a club or a club in your town, we think that, uh, you know, talk to the caddy manager or reach out to the head professional and just to see if they're, uh, when they sign up and when's the opportunity to caddy. Um, also, uh, if you don't live near a, a, a caddy program, don't live near a club, uh, we have a special program called the WJ Caddy Academy, um, and okay. we started that uh, this is our eighth summer. We have 85 young women and 19 young men that spend the summer here in Chicago. They don't new, live near a club. They're really smart, right. and um, they're going to need some help going to college. And so we've taken the uh, geography barrier because there are many people who don't live near a country club or a resort that has caddies right. and we're, we're able to right. provide a summer caddy experience for them and this year we have over 100 in the WJ Caddy Academy so that's another special program that you can apply during your freshman year in high school and that's in January of your freshman year of high school. Right and you know I, I like the fact that you know, you provide, uh, you know, as you, you point out here, a lot of guidance um, t- uh, towards the individuals. Uh, there's a lot of training uh, videos that are offered by the WGA, uh, you know, obviously um, uh, different manuals and things like that to, to help make that experience uh, better for them. Let's talk about, and, and certainly feel free to use your own experience as an example, but let's talk a little bit about the life of a caddy. Sure, and again, um, caddying, it just, uh, it's a great way to introduce young men and women to the game of golf, and I did not play golf when I started caddying, and many caddies don't, but they learn an appreciation for the game, and it's a skill that can be learned. Um, I wouldn't be intimidated. Uh, many young caddies today, they show up and never been on a golf course before, but you can really appreciate it, and part of it is learning how to serve and, and serve others, and uh Right. Being uh, able to help the golfer to make their round even better, uh, whether it's uh, cleaning their clubs, raking the bunkers, uh, helping them read putts if you're a little bit more experienced, and just providing a great service to those members. And um, it's it's unique. You have a new new boss every day, and uh, at the end of the round, uh, when you get paid, you, you're going to know if you did a good job or not such a good job. <laughs> And, uh, again, you what, kind of learn your way up the ranks, and it, it's just a really uh, – I, I can't stress enough how much uh, fun uh, canning can be in a summertime. Now, it's a lot of work, too, Ted, as you know. Those bags yeah. – uh, now, today, a little bit different yeah. than uh, than uh, <laughs> 42 years ago when I started caddying. Uh, right. But still, for a young person, they can be heavy. So it's a lot of hard work. You, you really uh, – you're working hard. 
um, but there's some very generous golfers out there. Well, and, and as you said, you know, a little earlier on, you know, it, it helps to build good uh, character for the for the individuals that participate in the programs. Um, it helps them, you know, be around the game again, whether they uh, and obviously a lot of them do as time goes on. But, you know, whether they uh, were introduced to, to golf uh, earlier, uh, you know, through their family or friends, um, this is a great opportunity to, to get around a game. Uh, and be part of a game, uh, even if they don't end up ever picking up a club and playing themselves. I think a lot of them end up ultimately doing that because they, they kind of get bitten by the same bug that we all do. But uh, it's certainly a great opportunity. What would be some tips that you would give um, for somebody to, to be a good caddy? What are some things that you recall from your own experiences and that you learned along the way um, that maybe uh, they should know when they're uh, dealing with players and things like that, some, some things to be conscious of? Oh, sure. And again, um, just being attentive, uh, just understanding where you are um, and being polite uh, to your golfer and just understanding and kind of feeling out what, what they need, what they're looking for. Um, some, some golfers want you to talk a lot with them. Others would prefer to, to, to have a quiet round and just a great way of understanding uh, what your golfer is looking for. And again, you want to be, as I always say, is uh, one step ahead or one decision ahead of your golfer. So just making sure they're not waiting on you and that you're providing that great service with a smile on your face. And um, your goal is to make that round as pleasurable as you can. And uh, whether it's uh, finding their golf ball if they hit it astray or helping, again, line up a putt or handing them that right club when they're looking for a, 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 a tough shot there. But, uh, again, um, caddying, you can learn it but uh, just understanding your golfer, being attentive, and uh, having a smile on your face at all times. Right, and, and it all boils down to, as you said, uh, you're really in, in uh, essentially the service business. You're providing a service uh, of value to uh, the club members and things like that that, uh, that you're, you're helping out. And, and, and it's an opportunity, really, uh, for a young person to even network um, you know, a little bit. And obviously, you're not there to you know, pitch the next uh, big idea or anything, but it's a good opportunity to meet some people that may help you uh, down the road. I mean, who knows? Uh, so there's a, a great way to develop some some friendships, if you will, and, and uh, uh, you know, other opportunities as well. Um, what were some things that you took away from your experience? What were some things memorable if, that, you know, if you can recall from when you were caddying uh, that you learned along the way, some, some valuable lessons that, uh, that you uh, were taught, if you will, uh, doing caddying? In Ted, I can tell you that uh, being around successful adults as a young person really has a positive effect on you, I can tell you. And being around doctors and lawyers and CEOs and learning about the, the business world and learning how people acted around each other, uh, it's just a really a way, a great way to learn about the world as a young person. I reflect back in my days uh, of caddying and uh, really just opened up a whole new world to me. And it, it taught me how to dream. It taught me how to dream that mm -hmm. maybe someday I could be a part of that world. And, and you hear about that all the time. You talked about opportunities. And we hear it all mm -hmm. the time with our Evan Scholars is uh, a country club member or someone they've caddied for, uh, internship opportunities, uh, first mm -hmm. jobs. Um, lifelong friendships that they developed on the caddy uh, from caddying on the golf course, and you're with these folks uh, four hours. Hopefully, not much more than four and a half hours, but uh, you're on the golf course uh, and with them for a long time. 
and um, you really learn a lot about people. You learn a lot about yourself, and it's um, it's a great way to spend a summer. Yeah, and and again, it, it creates so many different growth opportunities for uh, some of the young uh, students out there. Um, what are some other things that that um, the the Evans Foundation that provides through its scholarship programs? Obviously, uh, caddying and that financial aid. What are some other things that uh, for those that maybe uh, have children in sort of that range? Is there uh, a minimum age uh, requirement type of thing? And also, um, what are some other things that they can expect to experience uh, being part of the program? Sure. And then the the Evans Scholarship, as I mentioned, a full tuition housing scholarship and um, we look at four core criteria. It's a strong caddy record, excellent academics, right. demonstrated financially outstanding character. So, again, with caddying, we're looking at minimum two years of regular and successful caddying, and your club would fill out a, a caddy evaluation for you and evaluate you. And looking for good students who have worked hard in the classroom that want to uh, go to college, and they're going those who need help getting there, uh, those who have some uh, financial need, and uh, we're looking for outstanding young men and women who want to apply. So again, 15, 14, uh, a great year is to start caddying. And uh, for the Evans Scholarship, you would apply the fall of your senior year in high school. Right. And that's when the application, okay. August 1. And um, we accept the, expect the applications to be completed by October 30th. Right. So uh, again, just to going back to some of the facts here and the figures, if you will, um, you've got a record number of, uh, of uh, awarded scholarships this year for uh, 280. Um, that's a that's a pretty big number. Um, do you? What are your projections for next year? Do you feel that 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 number is going to continue to increase based on some of the the feedback and some of the um, participation that's been happening over the last few years? Obviously, that's a, a good boost for for Evans uh, Scholar Program. Um, what do you see happening for the next season? We're very uh, fortunate, Ted. There's some very generous people out there that uh, help us do what we do, and we expect next year to increase the number to 285. Uh, so we think we're going to have another record year. Uh, this past year, uh, 810 caddies from around the country uh, applied for the Evans Scholarship. Uh, those 810 applicants came from 27 different states around the United States and also Canada that right. applied for the scholarship this past year. So the competition is great. However, um, each year we, we're able to continue to grow uh, the number of awards and the number of Evans Scholars in school, and we have a stated goal of getting to 1,000 Evans Scholars in school by the year 2020. Right. And you have a lot of, uh, obviously, partners that um, that help uh, obviously, alumni, of course, uh, helps to to keep sort of fostering the, the growth, if you will. But you also have other um, uh, partners, if you will, out there that help uh, fund and, and help support the the program. Um, care to share some of uh, some of the partners that are out there? Sure. And again, golfers are very generous people from around the country, and really, our grassroots support our 34,000 golfers around the country who. Uh, our annual giving program is called the Park Club, mm-hmm. and those Park Club members uh, from around the country donate at least $250 a year. Many of our Evans Scholar alums are part of that, and it's a grassroots support from around the country. We also, the DMW Championship I mentioned earlier, 
mm-hmm. is a great support to the Evans Scholars Foundation. All proceeds from the BMW Championship support the Evans Scholars uh, Foundation, and that has been a, an absolute uh, uh, great week. And it'll be at Medina Country Club this year uh, in mm-hmm. uh, on August 15th through 18th. And then our Evans alums, uh, those 10,000 alums, last year alone, the alums gave back $14 million to the Evans Scholars wow. Foundation to, to make sure that those current and future caddies had that same opportunity that they had. You know, and, and what's also interesting too, Jeff, is, you know, I'm just, you know, I sort of had an opportunity to sift through some of the information that was sent to me. And I'm looking at, uh, and obviously I'm not going to name them all, but quite a few uh, very prestigious schools um, that that partner with or, or certainly get, um, uh, you know, work together, if you will, through your program. Um, Illinois, University of Illinois, uh, you know, Miami, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Purdue. So there's obviously, um, and that's just a few of them, that uh, obviously uh, benefit uh, from the program uh, as well, so you know these are these are top-notch, uh, you know, top-rated uh, universities here in uh, the United States that uh, you know these these students uh, that are, are attending. So you know they're getting a first class in addition to a, a great program and an understanding of the caddying program. Uh, they're getting access uh, where otherwise they may not uh, to top-rate schools uh, in the United States. And that's obviously a big benefit to them as well, correct? It sure is. And we have 18 universities that participate in the Evans Scholarship Program, and it's just a, a great group of universities. And it started at Northwestern. That's where Chick Evans mm-hmm. went. And our first two Evans Scholars started there in 1930. And our newest university is Penn State, where we're going to open up the scholarship house this fall. And, um, and all points in between, but um, we've got a great portfolio of partners uh, in the universities that um, yeah, you name the major, um, uh, you can find it at one of those schools, and we're very, very proud and look forward to continue to expanding our, our por- portfolio of uni- partner universities. Right. And as I said, you've got a lot of prestigious uh, universities that are participating, and I even see here Wisconsin as well, which has a very uh, a substantial number of alumni, as well as obviously Illinois, uh, and obviously some of your your other northeastern states like Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, so obviously, and, and again, Northwestern have some uh, strong alumni as well. Um, obviously, in addition to support, uh, you know, a lot of the alumni, I'm sure, uh, look back very fondly on their experience. Uh, do you have something that happens throughout the year where maybe the alumni? Do you have a, a gathering or a get together? Uh, through the foundation, let's say, as an example, where some of the alumni get to, to come back and, and maybe speak with or uh, maybe even offer like a mentorship, if you will, with some of the, the new and up-and-coming uh, students? We do. Our alums are very involved. It's really a lifelong program as we look at it, much more than a four-year scholarship. So our alums continue to be part, whether it's, uh, they're part of our leadership with the WGA directors. We have... Um, an alumni association that they're involved with. In each of our chapters, uh, we have a, a scholar alumni liaison that helps the scholars mm-hmm. with internships and with jobs. Our alums, we have activities. We have uh, fundraisers and friendraisers around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to celebrate 50 years at Indiana University this fall. 
we're going to rededicate our scholarship house at University of Wisconsin this fall. So many, many things around the country and around the year for our alums to get together, and you know, we have a, a very vibrant uh, alumni community, and they stay very involved with our scholars. And we ask our, scho- our scholars and our alums to uh, help each other, and the alums mm-hmm. are great with helping the scholars. And many of our alums belong to country clubs around the country also and uh, sure. help support caddies and uh, help support their clubs to uh, make sure that the caddies have a, a, a great opportunity to, to caddy and eventually apply for the Evans Scholarship. Right. Let, let's fast forward a little bit um, down the road. Obviously, you know, you want to keep those numbers going up and, and keeping the opportunities. Are there other things that, that uh, the Western Golf Association and the Evans uh, Scholars Foundation are looking towards the future? Obviously, um, you know, the caddy uh, programs are, are very important to, uh, uh, you know, to your um, industry, if you will. Um, but what are, are there other things that you're looking at uh, doing, expanding to expand that even further? Are there other things that you're looking at doing, uh, different programs, additional programs to what's currently available? In a couple of things that we're doing, Ted, and uh, one of the things is just really um, putting an emphasis on youth caddying, and um, we're starting an initiative, uh, Carry the Game initiative. Um, we've taken that on and you know, working with some great organizations around the country, to just understand where caddying is today. Um, we had the National Golf Foundation uh, mm-hmm. do a survey and surveyed around the country just to kind of understand where the benchmarks are with caddying. And they estimated there are 25,000 caddies in the United States today. Wow. And we're going we're gonna to understand that and really start digging in some of that data around, well, I think, are close to 700 different country clubs and golf facilities that, that, that offer caddies. And one of the things we want to make sure that we keep the kid in caddying, provide as much opportunity as we can for young people to caddy. So with Carry the mm-hmm. Game, we think is an initiative. And in addition, we talked about it earlier, is that um, it's a great way to introduce young men and women to the game of golf, um, right. developing a, a true appreciation for the game and, and many become golfers. Um, maybe mm-hmm. you don't have to be a great golfer, but you're going to appreciate right. it and you become an active golfer. And, and so the Carry the Game initiative, we think there's some um, opportunity to do that. We're just getting started uh, with that. They came out of the Golf 2020, uh, and we had a, there was a, a caddy committee, and uh, the Western Golf Association has uh, taken that on, and we'll be working with some other great organizations to begin just um, – really with an emphasis on youth caddying around the country. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting in in recent years when you look at the golf industry as a whole and, and obviously the, the, you know, statistics, I obviously uh, look at some of the statistics that come out of um, the National Golf Foundation as an example. And I know here in recent years, um, you know, they've seen quite an uptick in young women getting into golf. In fact, I think they're the largest uh, – in I think the age range, don't quote me on this now because I'm going from memory, but I think it was around uh, starting at about 13 upwards of, uh, you know, 25 to 28 being the top end as the biggest uh, or largest demographic of new golfers uh, are are young women in that. And it's, I think, around 33 to 35%. Are you seeing as well an uptick in uh, young women participating in your programs uh, as a result of that, you think? 
We think so, uh, absolutely. And uh, this past year, uh, over 30% of our awards were young women. And wow. the Evans Scholarship has really brought young women to caddying, and uh, mm-hmm. we think it's a great job for boys and girls. And uh, Right. And when we started with the Caddy Academy, um, really started with young women from around the country because once you get outside the Midwest um, and maybe some in the Northwest, there's just not as many girl caddies out there. And we want to make sure that we promote those opportunities for young women. But we've seen a a nice uh, growth in girls uh, caddying and then also uh, receiving the Evans Scholarship. And and, uh, so over 30% of our awards this past year were young women. Yeah, I mean that's that's fantastic, and uh, you know obviously as time goes on and and more and more young women uh, get introduced to the game, I'm sure you're going to start uh, seeing uh, again another uptick in in that percentage, and and hopefully uh, that'll happen sooner than later. Um, you know, there's a lot of things too, as you know, obviously our population uh, ages uh, a little bit. You're getting more people getting out of, of golf, or so it's uh, getting out of golf. Excuse me. So it's it's more important to to find you know new ways and creative ways of getting people interested in the game, um, what sort of outreach, uh, if any, programs do you have uh, to get into the various areas? I mean, obviously in golf in general, you know we have programs like First Tee and, and things like that that reach into other communities and things like that. Do you have such programs that you sort of outreach into the communities to, to sort of spur that interest uh, in golf in general? And obviously you want to ultimately. Um, you know, start them or, or encourage them to work towards getting into the programs? Well, we work with a lot of organizations like the First Tee and really okay. helping them um, identify young men and women who want to start caddying um, and mm-hmm. really getting into uh, the opportunities that, that's available to them. So Boys and Girls Clubs and First Tee and working with the local section, PGA, it just, we, again, um, we want to make sure that um, that we create opportunities for young men and women to understand that caddying is available to them. And, and part mm-hmm. of what we encourage with the caddies at our at our clubs, where our, our directors and our uh, making sure that um, they're learning about the game of golf, making sure that uh, they have opportunity to play golf on Mondays when the course is closed, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, just really encouraging young people to to caddy and also uh, develop uh, into lifelong golfers. Yeah, and, you know, again, I I think, you know, obviously the industry has seen um, both an uptick in some areas and then others a a decline, obviously, again, as an aging population. And, and, um, you know, golf is a game, obviously, that you can play uh, virtually at any age, unlike many other sports, and it opens so many doors and, and teaches so many life lessons for those that are in the game. And obviously, um, you know, one of the things I really like about what you guys are doing here is you're providing not only an opportunity to introduce people to the golf game, but you're you're also solving another uh, problem economically uh, in your communities that you're you're reaching out to or involved with, and that is helping with education. Um, that's a big thing right now that's that's going on. A lot of folks out there can't always afford, uh, you know, a four-year uh, you know, uh, stint, if you will, in, in a college program. So this is a, an obviously an advantageous uh, opportunity. Um, what about for those out there that maybe 
are, are working for maybe larger corporations that you're currently not working with. If a corporation or somebody in a corporation that's listening to the show tonight that maybe would like to get involved with, with WGA and, and Evans Scholars uh, Ship Foundation, um, what do they need to do and, and uh, who do they need to contact if they want to maybe become involved as a, a financial partner or, or otherwise? Sure, and again, uh, we appreciate uh, all of us who support us, and we've got many opportunities. We have a, a corporate partnership program, and we do a lot of things through our tournaments and other events. And you know, there are events all over the country that support the Evans Scholars Foundation. And you know, if you can go on our website, feel free to contact me, uh, Harrison at WGAESF.org. But, um, you know, just, just helping us out, again, the BMW Championship, whether it's uh, mm. corporate partnerships, corporate support, internship opportunities. If you're looking for a, um, a young man or woman, uh, you name the major, one of those 985 Evans scholars will have it. They're great workers. They become uh, excellent employees. But internships, first jobs, mm. we're always looking for that. And you touched on something earlier, too, and giving young people an opportunity for a summer job. And that's one thing that right. heading does so well. And if you look at today, maybe compared to 30 years ago or 50 years ago, there's not as many uh, opportunities for young people to work in the summer. No. And we want to no. make sure that we create that. So a lot of those jobs that maybe someone my age did um, aren't mm -hmm. available today. It's done by adults or uh, others, it's outsourced to others, but uh, so we want to keep uh, catting as an opportunity for a young person to to spend their summers. And again, we can't think of a better way to do it. No, I, I agree. I mean, there, you know, this is really one of the challenges that uh, the younger generation is experiencing right now is the opportunities um, for uh, summer employment uh, and even after college uh, or university employment. Uh, it's very, very limited. Many of them are struggling, not knowing what to do. So this is a great opportunity, really, um, again, to have a, a good summer job. And uh, hopefully, again, if they're doing a good job and, and paying attention and being courteous and that to, to the members that they're, they're helping, um, may open other doors uh, for internships or, or other uh, programs that become available. So it really is. And, and as you said earlier, I mean, it's not uh, you know, they're not sitting on their fanny all, all day. They're going to get out there and they're obviously going to work, but it's a good character builder, number one. But it's also, uh, again, they're, they're, again, networking, if you will, with, uh, in many cases, some very high-profile people in their business community. So it's a great opportunity for them to, to really shine uh, while they're, you know, wiping clubs and, and uh, helping read green. So it's, it's definitely a great opportunity for, for any youngster out there. We have a, a statistic we're very proud of also. Um, of those... Uh, this past year, who graduated, you know, uh, graduated in 2018, 96% of those graduates uh, either were going on into graduate school or had a job. So um, mm -hmm. they're taking full advantage of the opportunities they're given, and uh, they're, they're using the their education and and their uh, networking opportunities and, and really putting it to work. So 96% within six months. Um, are working or in grad school, so we're very proud of that also. Yeah, that's a great statistic to to uh, point out um, because again, it's you know as we know from from just seeing what's going on out in in the general population right now, a lot of uh, students are struggling. So I think sometimes you have to be you know willing to sort of think outside the box and, and consider other options. Um, 
and this is obviously a, a great option. I want to talk about just in, in sort of our, our final moments here uh, a little bit more about yourself. Uh, as you mentioned, obviously you caddied at Birmingham Country Club in, in uh, Michigan and obviously others. Uh, what got you into the game of golf? Was that how you initially started or were you introduced in a different way? And maybe just talk a little bit more about your experience as a caddy, some of the things that uh, uh, you know you came across that you took away and, and still sort of look back fondly uh, even to this day. Uh, thank you, yes. I, I started, I was 12 years old when I started caddying and it was something we did in the neighborhood. A lot of the kids in the neighborhood caddied and I just followed them there to the local club. That's what we did. And uh, my dad had played a little bit of golf, and my mom did also, but I really didn't play. And so really caddying developed a love of golf for me. And then right. um, uh, I'm one of uh, five children. Unfortunately, my sister didn't caddy, but my brothers all did, and we still talk very fondly of uh, caddying together. We literally spent our summers at the country club from dawn to dusk, and uh, really, really enjoyed it, uh, working hard uh, at the club and, uh, again, introduced us to some, some great friends and made some really, really good money along the way. I was fortunate sure. to receive the Evans Scholarship. My first career, uh, I was a country club manager. I studied hospitality management at Michigan State. has a great program for that. And mm-hmm. just a couple years in, um, I got a phone call from – the Evan Scowers Foundation asked me if I was interested in coming to work for him. I hadn't even thought about it, and I was fortunate my name came up uh, as a potential to work there. And it's uh, I've been there, and this is my 30th year on staff with the Evan wow. Scowers Foundation, and I was the first alum to be hired to work there. And now mm-hmm. there's many of us that uh, that work on staff, but I am um, uh, the third staff person to help run the Evans Scholars program when the first full-time person was hired in 1950. So there were just three of us. Wow. Uh, Mac McGuigan, who worked there for 39 years, uh, Jim Moore, who was there for 47 years, and, and myself now that have uh, been there uh, close to 30 years. So the lot of longevity in the Evans Scholars Foundation, uh-huh. it's, a, it's something that um, I truly enjoy. It's a great place to be a part of. It's a great organization. And when you see the life-changing that it does for the Evans Scholars, and again, it starts with caddying, but when you see Mm -hmm. someone be able to go to a world-class university they never even dreamed of being able to go to, it's something that um, gets me excited thinking about it uh, today the same way uh, my first day on the job and the same way when I was caddying so many years ago in the Detroit area. Well, it, it all boils down to this, um, Jeff. I'm a firm believer, and, and I'm, I'm sure you are. Uh, I think when you when you find something that you're truly passionate about and you love doing, and, and again, this is a great way for you to sort of give back to um, – you know, a, a, an industry, if you will, that's that's given something to you, and obviously to an organization that's particularly that's given something to you along the way. Uh, it doesn't really feel like a job. It's it's uh, something that's very enjoyable and very pleasurable, and and uh, it gives you an opportunity to serve others and and create those opportunities or, or windows of opportunities for for the next generations coming up. Uh, I notice here, you know, as I mentioned uh, just before you came on, I was sort of wrapping up some of the opening 
uh, introduction of, uh, of yourself. And uh, obviously, I know you're married and you have two sons. Uh, how old are your sons, and are they uh, interested in golf? And is there an opportunity you think that they may uh, jump in that program at some point down the road? Do you think? Well, uh, I do. I have are two they sons. Older? One uh, is just turned 16, and I have one that's uh, 13, about to turn 14. Uh, they both love golf. Uh, golf is a real family mm-hmm. activity for us, so we're able right. to play together. It's you talk about uh, uh, it's a generational game. In addition, they both right. caddy head and they love it. So oh, wow. we share the opportunity, and they caddy here in uh, they caddy Hinsdale Golf Club, which is a a great club not too far from our house, and uh, they love it. My older son. Will, it's his third year of caddying, and my younger son, Jack, it's his first year, so Will's been helping him out, and just hearing their stories about their experience at the golf course, and again, the teamwork on the golf course, and learning about how the member uh, wants to uh, have you caddy for them that day, and it it really brings me back, and it, it puts a smile on my face, and we really enjoy sure. talking about it uh, as a family. And I can tell you um, they're going to be lifelong golfers. There's no question about it. And um, uh, so golf and caddying uh, has gone on to the next generation in the Harrison household. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that they get an opportunity to make a little money in the summer as well, which I'm sure they enjoy the perks and benefits of that. Um, are, are they a little competitive when it comes to their caddying? Do they uh, they sort of compete when they're at the golf courses? Who does the better job? Or they do that in just about everything in life. And yeah. Uh, so yes, they do. <laughs> and uh, uh, they haven't come to agreement on who's better. But I know they both love it, and uh, they're they're doing very well. And uh, uh, it's fun. Again, it's a lot of fun, and I can see it uh, on them. And they're getting their friends caddying, and I have several. Uh, nephews uh, that caddy also so uh, that next generation and whether it's uh, in 2019 or again 42 plus years ago when I started caddying it's still the best summer job you can have and golf is that great game and knowing that that next generation is going to learn an appreciation and become lifelong golfers uh, again it brings a smile to my face I I have no doubt and uh, well done as they say so for those uh, maybe parents that are listening uh, and maybe even some, some younger folks that might be tuning into the program tonight, if they're interested in learning more, uh, number one, about obviously becoming a caddy and maybe want to find out about the uh, the different scholarship opportunities as they look forward to the future of their children or the, uh, themselves, uh, what's the best way to go and get the information? Where can they go? What's uh, the website? It, and it would be the website would be the best place. It's www.wga.com. ESF.org, and we've got a, a, a very uh, user-friendly website, and you can talk about caddying. And again, we have a caddy club locator. We have a scholarship page to talk about the Evans Scholarship, and you know many local clubs have local club scholarship. There's some other uh, regional golf associations that have scholarship programs out there. So uh, there's some great scholarship opportunities around there. But WGAESF.org is a great place to start when it comes to caddies and scholarship opportunities. Perfect. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for joining me tonight on, on Golf Talk Live. It's been very interesting, and I'm glad uh, that we had this opportunity for you to, to come on and share uh, not only about uh, the WGA, but uh, also about the uh, the Evans Scholars uh, Foundation and the programs that uh, are available. 
and uh, hopefully the listeners uh, were paying a, a close attention to the website and that they'll check it out after the show and, and beyond. But uh, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. And I would love to have you come back anytime if you want to continue. And maybe uh, next time what we'll do is uh, maybe get a few of the uh, younger participants in the program to come on and share a little bit of their story as well. Uh, I would love to have them too. We'd love to do it, Ted. And thank you so much for, for having me on. And and uh, keep up the great work you you do, and uh, we really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you very much, Jeff, and uh, have a great uh, uh, July 4th uh, holiday uh, with your family, and, and uh, hopefully you'll get some golf in. Thank you so much. All right, you have a great evening. All right, that was my very special guest, Jeff Harrison, the Senior Vice President of Education for the Western Golf Association and the Evans Scholars Foundation. Uh, very uh, interesting organization, uh, obviously providing some great uh, caddying program, but also uh, opportunities uh, through their scholarship program uh, for those wanting to go to a first-rate uh, college university here in the United States. And obviously, they're uh, reaching their tentacles, if you will, up and even to Canada. They're getting some uh, people from Canada that are uh, wanting to uh, get into uh, the programs as well. So uh, always uh, growing, and, and uh, congratulations to all of the the team members uh, at the WGA and uh, again the Evans uh, uh, Scholars Foundation for all the hard work that you're doing and uh, again thank you Jeff for, for joining me this uh, this evening on Golf Talk Live. I want to thank also the guys uh, from Coach's Corner, uh, Chuck Evans and Clint Wright. Uh, thanks guys for always bringing your best to the show. I appreciate it tremendously and uh, I look forward to uh, having you guys and, and the others uh, come on on the future panel discussions. Always an interesting time and I look forward to uh, uh, the next show. Just a, a final reminder, just to let everybody know, uh, next week, uh, the week of July 4th, I will not be doing any of the shows, uh, the Women of Golf on Tuesday and, of course, Golf Talk Live on Thursday. There will be no show next week, uh, but I will uh, be returning uh, the following week on the Tuesday, which I believe is the uh, 9th, uh, will be the first show back for the Women of Golf. We'll have a great guest, um, a great guest, excuse me, on that show. And then on the 11th, uh, we'll be uh, Golf Talk Live. We'll be back with another panel and another uh, interesting discussion uh, with the guys uh, and gals on the panel, uh, Coach's Corner, and then another uh, interesting guest, uh, interview guest, uh, will be joining me then as well. And then the following week after that, which is, I believe, uh, the 16th uh, being the Tuesday and the 18th uh, being the Thursday, I will not be doing shows uh, again that week. I'll be away uh, on holiday. Uh, but I'll be returning uh, the following week again. So uh, there'll just be uh, two weeks uh, that I'll be doing shows in July, the second week and the uh, final week uh, of July I'll be doing shows. And uh, as I said, next week and uh, um, the week of the 15th, um, I will not be uh, hosting either of the shows, uh, so there won't be shows those weeks. But you can go to uh, blogtalkradio.com, and uh, check out uh, under either Women of Golf or Golf Talk Live uh, through the on-demand section. You can listen to any of the previously aired shows, including tonight's, in their entirety. Um, and then through the outro here, uh, in just a moment, you will uh, also find some other great ways that you can tune into the show as well. Again, let me remind everybody finally to go to golfswing.com and check out their online video academy. Some great instructional tips there through some top, top uh, golf instructors. And again, at checkout, when you join their uh, online subscription. Uh, if you enter the promo code Golf Talk Live, uh, you will get a 50% uh, reduction in savings. 
uh, on their subscription-based uh, platform. So be sure to do that. And on that note, God bless everybody. Have a happy uh, Independence Day and a safe Fourth uh, of July. And uh, God bless everybody. I look forward to seeing you uh, in two weeks here on uh, the show. So thank you for joining me, and uh, we will look forward to having you come back soon. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.